that the power is within within you. You know, my philosophy is really that we can all be the detectives to our own bodies. And no one knows your body like you do. And so every single time we meet with a client, I meet every every single session with that respect and with that outlook because number one, it's the truth. And number two, when a client feels that, they progress so much more and they truly feel empowered and armed with not only knowledge and information, but confidence. Mm -hmm. And there's so much about physical rehabilitation that is about belief in self. And if we can, we can remind someone of that, that power is always within them. I think we're always going to get the results that, that they really want. Welcome to Mighty Talks Podcast. I'm Leslie, and here at Mighty Talks, we're dedicated to providing an outlet, support system, resources, and education to all those suffering from some sort of prolonged physical or emotional pain. Mighty Talks will allow you to bring power back to your life by optimizing overall health and wellness. We are here to live our best life together. No more excuses, no more hiding, and no more suffering. We're here to finally take control, advocate, and allow you to achieve your greatest desires. So join along in conversation, and if you like what you hear, please hit the like and follow button. Lindsay Vestal is the founder of The Functional Pelvis, the first in-home pelvic health practice in New York City that's run by an occupational therapist. She has helped thousands of people overcome chronic pelvic health challenges like incontinence and pelvic pain. Her goal is to empower women and men to listen to the wisdom of their own bodies without resorting to invasive surgeries or prescription drugs so they can heal and get back to enjoying life again. She takes a different approach from other pelvic health experts. In fact, she doesn't really take an expert approach at all. Instead, she relies on her clients to share their expertise about their own bodies. That way, she can offer the personalized support they need to regain control of their basic bodily functions. She understands that no one else knows your body better than you. She considers the whole person, not just outward physical symptoms. She doesn't believe Kegels are a one-stop shop for every pelvic floor dysfunction. And she's been featured in New York Times, U.S. News, Romper, Bazaar, and Motherly. She is amazing, and I am so happy to have her here today. So please allow me to welcome Lindsay Vestal. I thought we would just dive right in. Um, yeah, you've it. got a ton of information that I've followed you on social media. <laughs> I've checked out your website and you are phenomenal. Oh, thank you so much. <laughs> but I, I, I wanted to ask what made you want to start an in-home pelvic health practice? Because I, I, I saw on your website that you said you were the first in-home pelvic health practice in New York City that was run by an occupational therapist, which is phenomenal. <laughs> So what made you want what made you want to make that transition to providing in-home care? So when I first started my career as an occupational therapist, I was 
working in people's homes doing home health. So this usually applies to the older population, um, the home ridden population that can't get their way to the clinic. Sure. And while I was doing this, I saw in contrast to working in a hospital um, where people would either come on an outpatient basis or inpatient basis, meaning they were there at the hospital and we were providing therapy services. In contrast to that, being in the person's home, regardless of their level of ability, number one, put them at such great ease. I mean, they, they were literally home, you know, they were in their comfort zone. And, you know, with the pelvic floor, <laughs> with pelvic mm -hmm. health in general, we're really talking about very sensitive, a taboo part of the body that requires a level of comfort, it requires a level of, you know, welcomeness. You have to feel ready to talk and be open and to do the exercises with the person that, you know, you're talking about some of the most intimate aspects of your life. So there's certainly the comfort aspect that was really important to me. The second big pragmatic reason was that it's really functional to be in someone's home. So unlike in a clinic where you're spending time trying to set up an environment that may be conducive to something that's going to be replicated when they're at home, when you're in someone's home, there's no setting up. You're literally in the space that they're going to be practicing your exercises, doing the therapy, um, and actually, you know, putting the pieces together to make it real for them. And then the last reason was my practice specializes in the pre and postnatal community. And to be quite honest with you, whether it's your first or your second, so you've got a toddler in tow with a, with a newborn, being in someone's home makes it so much easier to make sure that you're attending therapy um, and that you know it's consistent for you. So to me, it was really a no-brainer. Um, all of those factors were really important. If I had to pick one, it would be the functional piece. Uh, as you can tell, the name yes. of my company is Functional Pelvis. And making exercise relative to everyday life is really important to me. I love that because I, I do feel like like in your home, you you do certain things and you work with certain types of equipment and you have stairs or you don't have stairs. And when you're mm -hmm. in a clinic, it's like, well, my stairs are really narrow. They're not like this. And it exactly it make it feel fitted to the individual, which I, I, I love that aspect. Yeah. And I, I do too. I loved on your homepage um, of your website, um, functionalpelvis.com that you had said a quote and I really liked it. And in fact, I don't really take an expert approach at all. Instead, I rely on my clients to share their expertise about their own bodies. That way I can offer the personalized support they need to regain control of their basic bodily functions. And I loved that. And I'm gonna tell you why, because I think a lot of people um, whether they're pre or postnatal, they've had a couple babies, or maybe they're the young female that's had um, a hypertonic pelvic floor and they're having pain and dysfunction. I think so many of those people have been having dysfunction and pain for so long, and so many people haven't listened and haven't offered um, one, a lending ear, and two, a personalized approach. And I love that that's kind of what your practice is modeled around. Yeah, yeah, thank you for saying that. I, You know, what I really wanted to resonate with people in addition to what you brought up is that the power is within, within you. You know, my philosophy is really that we can all be the detectives to our own bodies. 
and no one knows your body like you do. And so every single time we meet with a client, I meet every, every single session with that respect and with that outlook, because number one, it's the truth. And number two, when a client feels that they progress so much more and they truly feel empowered and armed with not only knowledge and information, but confidence. And there's so much about physical rehabilitation that is about belief in self. And if we can, we can remind someone of that, that power is always within them. I think we're always going to get the results that, that they really want. Absolutely. Hope and power, I think for something better. And I think a lot of times you lose that and it takes, it takes one therapist (laughs) to remind you that it may be hard work, but you can get there. Yeah. And I agree with you. I've been like dying to ask you this question. So since you're an occupational therapist, is your focus different than say a, a physical therapist that focuses on the pelvic floor? Do you, obviously you probably focus on more functional activities, but um, is your role a little bit different than a physical therapist? That's a really good question. And You know, the truth is that everybody who's a physical therapist, whether they're an OT or a PT, we all receive continuing education in order to enter this really amazing specialty after we graduate. So it's nothing you really get much exposure to. You absolutely have to pursue it um, to get that level of expertise to become a pelvic floor therapist. So I would say the main differentiating factor is probably that grad school lens. And I would say that in general, OTs and PTs have a very different, you know, graduate school experience. OT actually has its origins back in World War II in mental health. So we really firmly believe that having a meaningful occupation, being actively engaged and finding, you know, meaning in your life is, was the quickest way to rehabilitate someone. And so even to this day, everyone who goes through OT school um, really emerges with a very holistic perspective that's firmly rooted in mental wellness. And I actually always knew that knew that I was going to pick pelvic health, and I chose OT as a mechanism to get there because of that factor. I knew that I wasn't going to just approach the body in a purely physical way, and not that all PTs do, but I really love that if I was going to spend a few years in graduate school, I really wanted it to be in a program that required and emphasized field work and quite a bit of study on the way that a physical injury affects vulnerability, affects identity, um, affects outlook, affects the nervous system. And so for me, that crucial turning point, I believe, has really informed my work as a pelvic floor therapist. Oh, I had no idea. I had no idea that... Um occupational therapy programs have a, a huge focus on mental health. I think that's phenomenal. Yeah. Yeah. I, it, it's pretty amazing. And it's funny because a lot of us kind of, you know, we, we love that aspect. A lot of OT minors, um, excuse me, a lot of OT undergraduates are uh, psychology minors. Ah. <laughs> and I, I think that most of them were really excited, you know, knew the mental health aspect was going to be there. But a few of us were like, oh, man, like, you know, we really wanted to have that rotation at that sports clinic or and, and part of our 12, one of our 12 week rotations is in a mental wellness, uh, mental health space. And some of us mudged and begroaned about it. But then I'll tell you what, at the other side of it, we we're like, this was incredible. This is informed regardless if we're going to be a hand therapist or a pelvic floor therapist or a pediatric therapist. 
this was everything we had hoped for um, because it really spoke to that psychology and that sort of like biopsychosocial approach that all of us wanted to infuse our practice with. Absolutely. I think, <laughs> I think PTs and OTs are kind of a, a, a fair, like a psychotherapist to begin with. I've told my physical therapist that because I think, like you've said, when you open up that vulnerable aspect of yourself, when you talk about your pelvic floor, and then when you add in pain and you add in frustration and you add in maybe depression or anxiety, you have a huge, I think a huge void that you're filling as a therapist and addressing the whole, the whole person and not just the physical, um, the physical issues. 100%, 100%. And I say we all have a story. Some of us, uh, some of us share it and some of us not, but do you have a story that made you fall in love with um, pelvic health? I know you said that you chose OT because you knew pelvic health was something that you were interested in. Was there some kind of personal connection that made you fall in love with treating that part of the body? Yeah, <laughs> there, there is. There is. You're right. I think most people do have a story. So mine sort of evolved and I'll do the truncated version. But the main reason how I got here was actually my father. So my dad was diagnosed with bladder and prostate cancer uh, about 18 years ago. And my dad is this very outspoken and gregarious person who is just full of life. I mean, is just involved in every level of his community you could imagine. And one of the symptoms he experienced through his cancers was urinary urgency and urinary incontinence. Yeah. And I saw him in front of my very own eyes go from being, you know, this outspoken, active person to being very socially withdrawn and very depressed. And, you know, at this point, I was actually a technical writer um, who was also a modern dance choreographer. And I remember thinking, you know, I read somewhere there's muscles down there, you know, <laughs> can dad rehab his muscles? Like, you know, we took him through a hip replacement a few years ago and he flied through that experience through rehab. Like, can, can we do the same thing here? And so I did some research and sure enough, I came, I came across a physical therapist and he started going and it rocked his world. I mean, it was just such an incredible experience. And I, I got my dad back, you know, and his personality came back and he had that same zest for life. And so that was a real crucial turning point for me to recognize that we could help someone really gain back such a quality of life um, in such an intimate part of their body. And fast forward for me, I now do work with men, but it's a very small percentage of my population. Just because after I started my family in New York City, I started really getting a lot of pre and postnatal people. Um, and I still treat, you know, women going through menopause and, and men, but I would say 85% of our private practices is really the pre and postnatal community. But I will always remember that physical therapist who was so influential and, you know, such a guide for my future career. Oh, that's, that's a, an amazing story. <laughs> I think seeing somebody that you love um, overcome that type of, I don't want to say pain, but kind of in a way that struggle and to make your life model that story, I think is, is awesome. Thank you. Thank you. And I've been wanting to ask you this because you talk a lot about um, kegels and maybe the misinformation um, around kegel activity. And I know for me, when I first got diagnosed with um, 
I got diagnosed with hypertonic pelvic floor dysfunction. And I remember talking about it with people that I work with who are in healthcare and then, you know, friends and family. And a lot of people were like, why don't you just do some kegels? It'll fix yourself. And I'm like, ah. <laughs> and so I think people, especially women, they hear pelvic floor and they think I've got to do all these kegels. And I yeah. feel like in today's world, we hear so much about going to the gym and I got to work on my abs. Could yeah. you talk more about your, you had a, you had a topic called enough with the kegels, why relaxation heals common pelvic floor issues. Could you yeah. talk about that? I thought it's like an awesome topic. I would love to talk about that. (laughs) So I think that, yeah, one of the biggest misnomers is that regardless of the pelvic floor issue you have going on, that Kegels are going to be the thing that fixes it. And this could be, let's, if you don't mind, I'm just going to start with going over the very three quick main jobs of the pelvic floor, because I think that's really important to recognize that those, when those, one of those three or all of those three things change, we think immediately Kegels. So I would love that. The three main jobs are elimination, you know, so that's getting urine and bowel movement out when we're ready to go, but also keeping it in if we're not, right? Mm. Number two is intimacy. So that's being able to participate in intimacy, have finding pleasure in it, and being able to experience orgasm. And lastly is this function of support. So our pelvic floor is at the bottom of our spine near our tailbone, and its job is to keep all the contents of the pelvis supported. But because it's at the bottom of the spine, it actually has to support everything above it as well, everything up to our eight to 10 pound head, Mm -hmm. right? That's a big job, and those three jobs are really important. And if you were to have an issue with any one of those three problems, most people, like you said, are gonna say, do your Kegels, okay? And that's because that's kind of the biggest buzz term that's out there. You know, it was something that a Dr. Arnold Kegel came up with, you know, in the 40s and the 50s. And I'm going to tell you, we're in the year 2020 and our <laughs> thank goodness has evolved so much since then. And our understanding of the body has grown so much since then that it is not the holy grail of the pelvic floor. And in fact, if I could count the number of times that I actually ask a client to do kegels, I mean, it would be probably less than both of my hands. I mean, it's it's very rarely used, um, especially in a case, Leslie, like yours. So you you have a hypertonic pelvic floor, which is a pelvic floor that is working a little bit too hard. You know, it's sort of on the tighter, overactive, tense side of things. And to be completely honest with you, the majority of our clients have the same. And so if you have a muscle that's already flexing, that's already too tight, and I always use this example, so I'll I'll try it again with your audience. If we were to kind of take our arm and squeeze a bicep, like you're, you know, gonna about to punch someone, and you kept it there, and you kept it there all day, and I said to you, hey, why don't you try to squeeze it a little bit more? Go ahead and, and, you know, bring (laughs) bring it into your mouth even more, and pulse it. Oh, come on, let's do three sets of 10. You got it in you. Let's do it. That by no means is going to help your bicep change shape or aesthetic, and it certainly isn't going to help function. And in fact, you might even do more harm than good because you're going to further restrict blood flow, right? The muscle is going to get really kind of tight and short and stuck in that position. And when you finally, if you even have the ability to put your arm back down at your side, it's going to be quite achy. 
So that's a little bit akin to us telling people to do Kegels when their muscles are hypertonic or overactive. Um, and it's interesting because most people think they have to do them because it's what's out there. And okay. the other thing that's really interesting is that let's say we're leaking. Most people initially think, oh, you know, I'm leaking urine when I step off a curb or when I jump on a trampoline, my muscles must be relaxed. They must be too open. The reality is our body only has, our pelvic floor only has a few ways to tell us, hey, there's something, there's something that needs your attention. And whether it's over tight or under tight, it's going to let you know the same way in a lot of cases. And so we immediately think I need to do tightening. I need to go to this other extreme when in reality, you actually might need to release and relax and restore your ability to move fully through range of motion or fully through space to then be able to start to get that strength component back in. Mm, I love that. I think that's a common common misconception, and I, I'm, I'm glad that you had a, an opportunity to talk more about that. Something I've been like dying to ask somebody on the podcast. So, and I loved on your website you talked about, um, you know, a, a solid foundational core is important in pelvic health, but you also said there's so many ways to engage and strengthen your core just by doing functional daily things in your own home. And could you talk a little bit more about that? Yeah. Yeah. So we mentioned when we first got on our, our conversation today about how I love going into people's homes because that's everyday life, you know? And so it makes sense that my approach is to really talk about the benefits of that, because I don't think that waiting to, if we're able to sneak it in or if our gym is even open, uh, right. that we're able to just wait to go and sneak in 45 minutes to quote unquote work on our core. When in the reality is, everyday life is an opportunity to do those things. And to me, that's, that's a really liberating feeling. Um, it's a very powerful feeling because you can actually, you know, don't necessarily have to make extra time to do it. You just have to be mindful. Mm. And that's a really beautiful thing anyway. You know, you and I are talking in the midst of a quarantine and it's a time when everybody could benefit from a little bit more slowing down and a little bit more mindfulness anyway. So why don't we, why don't we, you know, kill two birds with one stone? Let's move mindfully through our everyday life, help restore and connect to our core while we're doing it. And also kind of slow down and reduce anxiety, right? By being really present with our bodily sensations and with the way, let's say, we go from sit to stand or the way we bend down to pick up. Oh, I don't know. I've got about a thousand Legos that I'm looking at on the floor <laughs> project. You know, when I bend down to start picking those up later today, doing it with a mindfulness and with a sense of where is my head in space? Where is my pelvis? You know, what is my core doing right now? I mean, it's a, it's a beautiful combination of things that is very stress relieving because it means I'm not waiting to go to that gym to start that work. Absolutely. And for me, I think that resonates huge because I was extremely active at the gym and I, I, I considered myself a very healthy in shape person but when I went through this whole process of physical therapy, I realized how much I wasn't engaging my core in everyday activities, transferring yeah. my weight, walking upstairs, picking up things. And I couldn't believe it. And I thought, well, shoot, what else am I incorrectly using? And it, I loved the fact that therapy gave me that ability to tap into my body 
And so I love that you teach engaging your core by using functional daily activities, because I think in the end we do daily activities over and over and over and over. And that repetitive misuse of um, certain muscles and certain joints, I think over time does develop dysfunction and pain. Well, that's right. And, you know, what sense does it make to, I don't know, do a, I'm just going to make something up here, a deadlift or, you know, some other activity properly that maybe your PT or OT taught you, but be doing the later that week. And if you're kind of, you know, slunching down, having your belly go into the counter in front of you and your glutes are tucked underneath you and your neck is really far forward and you're going to be there for hours cumulatively over the week, you know, that doesn't really add up and that doesn't, it's a disconnect, right? So Mm -hmm. let's kind of combine it. Let's, let's, let's do it all. And you're right. I think we kind of take away some of that cumulative repetition that can kind of undo some of that other work. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think for me, at first I felt a little like, well, shoot, I've been doing basic things wrong for so long. You kind of get a little upset and defensive and I'm like, no, this is a way for me to tap back into my body. And I tell people that all the time, I would never want anybody to have to go through the pain that I had, but I'm so thankful because it's allowed me to tap into my body and to actually understand why I'm doing the things I'm doing instead of just going through the motions and the repetitions. I love that you turned that around because you're right. You know, I think in even the best therapists that we're working with, you know, we can have these moments of, of doubt and overwhelm and sort of like, Oh my gosh, like I've opened up Pandora's box a little bit here, (laughs) you know, sitting incorrectly. What else am I doing wrong? And, you know, we can certainly approach life that way. Um, or we could look at it the other way, which, you know, I'm a big optimist and a person who really likes to think about the hopeful side of things. And it's sort of like, well, wait a second, this is that sort of light that's now shining on in my mind and in my heart and my opportunity to kind of say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to take one step at a time here. And yeah, I'm going to learn that next thing. And then it's going to open me up to this next thing mm-hmm. versus kind of looking at it all in this really overwhelming way, which, you know, we could do that with anything in life. And so it's that practice of um, one step at a time and being able to, to, to recognize that it's an opportunity to just learn more about ourselves. I agree. And one thing that's really helped me, and you talk about it all the time, you've got several posts on social media and I know on your website where you talk about the, the power of your own breath and how the nervous system, the pelvic floor, the air we breathe and how we breathe is all connected. And I would love to hear more about that. Yes. Yes. So the first thing that I think would be really relevant to bring up here is that the core, which we've talked about a few times, it's, it's really four main areas of our body. So of course it's the pelvic floor. It's also a group of muscles uh, called our transversus abdominis, which is kind of like our corset muscles, our, our lower abdominals, if you want to think about them like that. The third part of our core is our diaphragm, our respiratory diaphragm, which is our breathing muscle. And it sits right below kind of like the bra line area. And the fourth part is the muscles along the back of the spine that help stabilize everything. These four parts work together and form our core, our inner core. 
And I think the part that I want to highlight here is the respiratory diaphragm and the pelvic floor, because they are, they have this really beautiful symbiotic relationship together. They're actually mirror images of one another. They are kind of the top and the bottom of our core. And when we inhale, when we take air in through our nose, our lungs actually expand, right, to take in that air. And in order to do that, our respiratory diaphragm, which sits right below our lungs, moves down in our body. It moves down. And our pelvic floor in response to that also moves down. So they sort of relax together. They kind of take a collective sigh, if you will. And when we exhale, those that air comes out of the lungs, so the lungs kind of come back up in the cavity. The diaphragm also comes back up and so does the pelvic floor. And this is obviously an optimal, optimal body, right? There's a lot of clients that I work with to help restore this connection. Mm. So when we breathe, it's actually an opportunity to connect to our core. It's also an opportunity to nourish our pelvic floor because parts of our body and our muscles need to move, right? To get blood flow, to get nourishment, the pelvis is a bit of a lymphatic pump system. And so when we get movement down there and we breathe 20,000 times a day, so when we breathe well, our nervous system relishes in that experience and our pelvic floor is getting some love as well. So this is also why you know three-dimensional diaphragmatic breath is such a beautiful thing. And it's why it's talked about so much. I don't think it's talked about so much with its relationship with the pelvic floor. So that's something I love to bring up. And as you said, I, I do a lot on social media about that. The other thing that's really interesting is that when we're um, in utero, the top of the, the, top of the um, vocal cords and our, the bottom of our pelvis near our rectum form at the same time. So they're, they're the same tube and it's the top and the bottom of the tube. And so, you know, embryologically, they're, they're so connected, obviously. And we really are, even as adults, one tube from mouth to rectum. And so there is this connection and of being able to breathe well to let the entire system have, you know, this ability to communicate and to serve us. Um, and it's all part of the same system, even though we tend to think of it as very opposite sides of our body. Mm -hmm. um, so when we breathe well and our vocal cords are working well, and again, that kind of goes back to alignment. If our head is in that forward posture all the time and our, our head and our ears are not truly over our shoulders, and it's jutted forward like a lot of like text necks, you know, when we're text messaging all the time. Yes. We're sort of out of sync with that system. You know, our, our, our vocal cords aren't able to garnish that power and that control, which has a repercussion on the pelvic floor, not only from that standpoint, but the other way it has a repercussion on the pelvic floor is when our neck is forward like that, our pelvis tends to curl under. Mm. So we get C shape. And when we're sitting in that C shape, we're no longer sitting on our sits bones. We're sitting on our tailbone, which, you know, is not meant to be a weight bearing bone. And now that musculature really starts to change. It's not being utilized in the best length tension relationship that it can. So you can really start to see how these small changes over years and patterns start to really add up. So yeah, this is, this is just a, we could go on and on about this, but this is just kind of a quick example of my love affair with, with the, with the connection of <laughs> the body. I love it. Cause I, I think I know myself, I don't always think about how my head, I, how I have my head position could affect 
the whole system below me. I think a lot of people think, okay, my neck, my de- my back. And then below that, it's kind of like its own system. Yet I think exactly. we forget that the sacrum and, and all of that is connected. And you've got the muscles that can, I mean, it's just an amazing system. I it really, I spend so much time reading. <laughs> and the more I read, I'm like, how did I not know this? I've worked in healthcare for 15 years. It's amazing. There's always something to learn. And I'll tell you, that's the thing that I love. You know, I'm a lifelong learner. And I think that um, it's a gift to be able to continue learning and applying it to not only ourselves, but the world around us. Absolutely. And I guess that kind of leads me to another question is why, why Lindsay, what makes your approach so unique and sought after? And do you think utilizing somebody like you is important in pre and postnatal and I know I've mentioned it before in other episodes about the importance of just, I think, reaching out and having an OT or a PT that specializes in the pelvic floor, especially for women. You go through such a a traumatic and beautiful thing as pregnancy and delivery, but there also comes a lot of change and the same thing with menopause. Um, So what makes you so special and unique? Well, I mean, uh, I think everything we've talked about for this last 30 minutes, you know, this idea that function is incredibly important, you know, that we are the detectives of our own body and that, you know, we have this immense ability to, to really heal ourselves and to believe in that power. And that by learning more about our body and being open to learning more about our body is always going to serve us, you know, and, and I, I really learn and continue to this day to learn so much from my clients because they are the reason I do what I do. And they are, they help me help my next client, you know? Absolutely. In terms of your next question, which to me is a really important one. And and that is, you know, the pre and postnatal population and, and why pelvic health is so important to them. And, you know, the first thing I want to say about that is that regardless of how you deliver your baby, so whether it's vaginally or a C-section, you know, the pelvic floor goes through quite a journey in the nine months of pregnancy, regardless of the type of delivery you have, because the baby is, you know, basically sitting right there, right? The pelvic floor, we already talked about its job of support, now add the weight of this growing baby. And, you know, our heart even shifts in our chest cavity to make room for baby. So you can only imagine the global changes that the pelvic floor and the core go go through. Mm. So I think on that merit alone, every person really should go through a re-education of sort of where their body is in space after they had a baby, because there are so many spinal changes that happen. I mean, just take a look at the next time you walk by a very pregnant person and (laughs) Look at, look at them from the side, right? I mean, <laughs> tremendous amount of undulations and changes that have to happen to make room for the growing baby. And sometimes because that change happens slowly over those nine months, when baby comes out, mom sometimes needs a little bit of help or reorganization of where her body is in space. Mm-hmm. On top of that, we've got the sleep deprivation. We've got the role change that, that occurs with this, this new baby that we've brought home. There's just so much to figure out that a lot of times where our body is, is not the most important thing. So I urge anyone who's listening who is or knows someone that has had a baby, when they're ready, when the time is right, 
and they're ready to work with someone, it would be, a, it's a really important thing to not only help them stay strong as their con kids continue to become more active, but let's take a look at the blueprint of their life. You know, as they start to approach menopause and perimenopause, they're going to really need that fun that coordination and that foundational strength that the inner core brings to help with those additional changes. And then if we take a look at just the delivery aspect, um, you know, the some of the more recent research has suggested that vaginal delivery, the vagina stretches about 250 times its normal size. Wow. And there is not a body part <laughs> in any human that can stretch to that capacity and that wouldn't go through physical or occupational therapy afterwards, you know? Oh, that's such a good way of so, saying it. Like, come on. Right. And, and then if we've had a C-section, it's the same thing because the incision happens right through those lower abs. Remember how I mentioned the second part of the inner core, those transverses abdominis? The incision happens right through them. So they're actually also impacting the pelvic floor, even though the baby didn't come out there. So even a C-section parent really should consider re-education. Um, and then if I could take a step further back and mention that if I have, I, I'd love to work with a pregnant person because I have the opportunity to talk a lot about the fact that the vagina doesn't actually push the baby out. It's the uterus. And a lot of people think that it's their vagina that has to really have that power and that pushing capacity when actually the pelvic floor has to do the opposite. It actually has to relax. It has to get out of the way. And so for clients that are hypertonic, this is really important, right? Because their muscles already need a little bit of help with relaxing. So I love working with a pregnant person to teach them the body mechanics of the proper way to push. I call it a birthing rehearsal um, because it, it, giving birth is not, that is not the ideal time to learn a new skill is <laughs> <laughs> uh, really something we should practice. And we can also talk about ideal birthing positions for that client because we have biofeedback, which enables us to kind of see the electrical impulsivity of the muscle. And we can kind of see like, oh, well, which position is your muscles the most relaxed in, which could give you some information, you know, like, so is it sideline? Is it squatting? Is it, you know, laying on your back? Like we'll play around with all of those and have, you know, our clients walk out of the office having an idea of what could set them up for success. So I, I'm a very big proponent and a big fan um, of people working with a pelvic floor therapist if they can in pregnancy and without a doubt postpartum. Oh, I love that. It's like you said, uh, you go through all these physical changes, some massive changes, and then you have a, a new little body in your house and you're sleep deprived and maybe you're breastfeeding and it's stressful and you're, maybe you have postpartum depression. You add in all those stressors, which absolutely play a role on um, the pelvic floor and its optimal health. Exactly. Exactly. And I'm sure you have a ton of words of wisdom. Some of it I, I've already caught in the conversation already, but do you have any, any words of wisdom or guidance for those listeners that maybe had a baby or maybe they're just in the beginning part of their pregnancy and they want to go through the experience as best as they can, or maybe just the woman that's um, starting menopause. Do you have any advice for those, those women listening? Yes, I would say follow your intuition when it comes to your care provider, uh, your practitioner, whoever it is you're leaning on for whatever you might be going through. So if you're a menopausal person and 
you might be experiencing what we call prolapse, which is when the pelvic floor isn't able to support those organs, right? We talked about that being that third main job of the pelvic floor. Um, A lot of people here need surgery for that. You know, that's sometimes the first, the first advice you're given when I always suggest pelvic floor therapy first, because you need muscles that are working optimally and functionally anyway, even if you end up going through the surgery, you're always going to fare better if you go in understanding a coordinated muscle pattern first. Um, same thing with a lot of pre and postnatal people, you know, they'll often go to their doctor and their doctor isn't interested in listening to their birth plan or the fact they may want a doula there or, you know, basically, I guess what I'm trying to say is feel like you're being heard, really make sure that whoever it is that you're working with for either a very healthy, normal reason or a dysfunctional reason make sure that person has your back and is listening to you and is open to other ideas. And if they're not get a second opinion, heck get a third opinion. You know, I think that there's um, this sense of authority in many cases that we need to defer to, to that practitioner when we know in ourselves that, that that may not suit us, that may not be right, or we may not be sure. And we want to hear alternatives. And so I think anyone that's listening, I really want to encourage you to follow your gut, to ask questions, to remember you're in charge, that it's your body. Um, And when it doesn't feel right, move on. Oh, I couldn't agree more. I always tell people advocate for you because you're your best advocate and you know what's going on with your own body. Um, And for me, it took finding multiple health practitioners in various aspects to finally find one that Mm. listen to my story and use their knowledge and thinking to find a connection. And I'm, I know I'm forever grateful, but it, it was exhausting, but I think you have to advocate, you have to advocate for you. It it really can be exhausting. Um, And I think that it starts with at least knowing that you can advocate. And if you choose not to, because you're exhausted or, for various other reasons, that's fine. But I think what's important to know is that you can and you have a right to do so. And I think a lot of people don't exercise that enough. Absolutely. There's always another opinion that you can at least at least search out for. That's right. And I just want to for you to um, tell the listening audience, how can we find you, Lindsay? And how can we learn more about the functional pelvis? If they've just saw your awesomeness today and they want to find you, how can they find you? Yeah, thank you for asking that. So um, a couple places I, I love to tell people about a weekly newsletter that I send out. And it's usually three bullets that are quick and easy to read. And they're usually things that inspire me. So it might feature something like your podcast, which I have before. Um, it might feature a book I'm reading, you know, an Instagram account, a research study. And ex- I always usually throw an exercise or a stretch in there that I'm that I teach. Um, and they can sign up for that newsletter, which is called The Humpty Hustle on my website, which is www.functionalpelvis.com. And I'm also on social media um, and Facebook. I would say I'm the most prolific on Instagram. Yes. You post, I, I think, at least every day, if not multiple times. I, I know I follow you and there's always a an exercise post or you had one recently about breathing. But there's short little blurbs that you can read in like five minutes and get your, yeah, your education for the day. <laughs> I try to do that. <laughs> well, Lindsay, I had such a pleasure uh, chatting more with you today. And I know the listening audience, I, I, 
will, I think they'll be overwhelmed with uh, the positive information that you've given them today. And I feel so thankful to have you here. Oh, Leslie, thank you so much for doing what you're doing. I'm a big fan of the information and resources that you've been giving out in your podcast. So thank you for the honor of being on your podcast and please keep on doing what you're doing because I know that it's helping so many. Absolutely. Maybe we can have you back again um, on a new topic. I would love that. Awesome. Well, have a fabulous day and I can't wait to chat soon. Sounds good. Thanks, Leslie. Uh, Bye-bye. Bye.